But then to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. And I'm going to read through verse 6. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. Let's give our attention to God's word. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, <clears throat> is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then our text is verse 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever, whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know. That we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Our God in heaven, we come to a convicting text today. Thank you for it. Uh, Use your word, Lord, to examine our hearts and help us to see a spiritual truth. uh, Things that are not accessible without the spirit of God. And so, uh, Lord, illuminate your word and open up our minds and hearts and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You might wonder what we're doing here in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. And I'd just like to explain um, a few, two weeks ago actually, Sunday evening, uh, we looked at 1 John chapter 2, just looking at two magnificent gospel words. The words being uh, advocate and propitiation. Uh, we, we explained how so many Christians in our country have a very shallow understanding of what the gospel is and, and uh, that the New Testament uses rich, deep uh, theological words to explain um, the truth of the gospel. Jesus is our advocate. He intercedes for us. He is our propitiation. He is the one who's turned aside the wrath of God as he bore our, uh, the penalty of sin in himself so that the love of God is free to flow to us. One of the comments I made in that sermon is that there are a lot of Reformed Christians who believe those things, and yet they have a hard time believing that God actually likes them. They believe in the doctrines of grace. They believe in uh, the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. They understand that um, they are accounted righteous before God, not because of anything they do, but because of what Jesus has done. They believe in the doctrines of election, and they understand justification. They believe that they're forgiven because of Jesus. They believe the gospel promises an inheritance with Christ. They're just not convinced that God loves them. They're not convinced in a way that, that brings deep confidence and peace and 
abounding joy. So, so Paul will say in, in Romans 15, 13, may the God of all hope fill you, fill you with joy and peace in believing. And it's that in believing part in, in, in the way that fills God's people with joy and peace that is so often lacking. Someone came up to me after the service actually and said, I, I understand what you're saying uh, about, you know, Dutch guilt and struggling to believe that God loves me. And he says, I, I appreciate the gospel truths of, of verses one and two. But what about verses three through six? Because that's where my struggle is. Those are the verses that trip me up. And if we're honest, I think we uh, can easily understand why a person would would say that verses three through six seem to uh, pose a great challenge to Christian confidence and a Christian joy, because John says the evidence of a true Christian is what? They keep the commandments of God, says it twice, verses 3 and 4. They keep his word, verse 5. They walk in the way in which Jesus walked, verse 6. And so as you look at your Christian life, even in this past week, is is that what you would claim for, for yourself? Would Would you... Uh, say that you've kept God's commandments, you've, you've, you've kept His word, you've walked like Jesus. Octavius Winslow, an old Puritan pastor, says, when we take the history of the child of God, even a single day, and mark what flaws, what imperfections, what fickleness, what dereliction in principle, what flaws in practice, what errors in judgment, and what wanderings of heart make up that brief history... How we are led to thank God for the stability of the covenant. We, we, uh, we sense that looking at yourself and looking at your obedience is, is not generally uh, the path to assurance. Uh, that we find assurance in the covenant. And that is absolutely true. And yet, it's also true that Christians should be able to find assurance in obedience. That's John's point this morning. It's not something we talk about very often. It's not a category we're, we're familiar with, but that's what John talks about. And so let's, let's before you just sort of steal your heart and say, I'm not going to like this sermon, um, let's just accept that John is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that John knows Jesus. Remember, he walked with Jesus. He was the beloved disciple. In fact, you'll find as you study John's letters, it sounds a lot like Jesus. And so let's trust that there's good news here. That, that the Jesus who gave his life for sinners uh, has a good word for, for his people this morning. I want you to note first John's concern. John's concern is explained in verse 1. John is good at doing this. He tells us why he's writing. The gospel, uh, John 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He likes, John likes his readers to know uh, where he's going and, and why he's writing what he's writing. Well, chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Here's the apostle John. Writing to these, these new Christians and encouraging them. I'm writing, I want you to know why I'm writing you. I'm writing you so that you may not sin. Now he, he's explained that, that he knows they're not going to live sinless lives. In fact, he says if anyone says that they're without sin, they're a liar. The truth isn't in them. 
And he has encouraged them that when we do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus. We have a propitiation in Jesus. Wrath doesn't fall on us. He's encouraged us in those things. And that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so he... John is, he's standing on the gospel when he, when he writes and says, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. Because you see, John has a, a gospel that's a little more uh, rich and full than the gospel we often tend to believe. If, if you ask people, I said this the other night, if you ask people to, to explain the gospel in your own words, what is the gospel? What's the good news? And, and the answer usually is, Jesus died for my sins. And that's true... But it's true in a very shallow, superficial way. John's gospel is much more full. John understands that salvation is not simply a rescue mission. It's a holiness project. It's not just a rescue mission. It's a holiness project. The gospel is is the good news about what God has has done for sinners in Jesus Christ. That in the, the atoning death... Jesus endured the penalty for my sin. He's cleansed me from the pollution of my sin. He freed me from the power of my sin. One day he's going to free me completely from the presence of sin. The gospel is full and rich. But it's not just about, you see, giving us a uh, escape card from, from hell. It's, it's, it's about giving us an entrance card into the new heaven and the new earth. The home of righteousness. It's a holiness project. And, and the same divine decree and atoning blood, you see, that cleanses us from past sin, that same divine decree and atoning blood is the power of God to teach us to say no to ungodliness and, and to make us what we're called to be. Because remember what we're called to be? Started the service with it. We're called to be saints. And so John says, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. He's a big fan of obedience. John loves obedience. He loves obedience because it's pleasing to God. He loves obedience because it's faithfulness to Jesus Christ. He loves obedience because it's a witness in the world of the power of God in the lives of sinners. And he loves obedience because it is a great assurance for the believer. Obedience has a gift attached to it. The gift of assurance. People will often talk about, when you, when they do talk about obedience, that, that God's way is the best way. And if you just follow the principles in scripture, um, God will bless you. And, and health wealth preachers use this a lot. If you just do it the right way, you'll get what, you'll get the blessings. Whether it's parenting, whether it's the treasures, a success, whatever it might be. Well, that's, that's not what John's talking about. He's a, he's, he's a suffering apostle. The church is a suffering church. And yet, and yet there's a, beautiful, beautiful gift that John wants us to know about that, that comes through obedience. And it's the gift of assurance. By this, we know that we have come to know him. And he says it, he says it twice. Verse three and again in, in verse five. By this, we may know that we are in him. This is... One of the things that Christians struggle with, we struggle with assurance. How can I really know that my religion is a saving religion? And, and how can I really know that God loves me and that I belong to him? And John says, the, the, one of the, the great blessings or, or, or gifts that obedience brings is the gift of knowing. And it's knowing that we, we really do know him. 
And he sounds like Jesus here because Jesus uses no language when he's talking about saving religion. Uh, my sheep know me. They hear my voice and they follow me, but, but they know me and I know them. Uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you, you do not know me. You don't know me or the Father. The, the, the awful word that people will hear on the last day who, who aren't truly saved is what? Depart from me. I never, I never knew you. So, so how do you, how can you really know that you know Jesus? John says, by this. And, and, and the this points directly to, if we keep his commands. Now, now again, let's not get confused. John isn't saying, by this you can gain salvation. He's not saying, by this you receive salvation. He says, by this you get the blessed assurance of salvation. By this you can have the holy joy of knowing that God has begun a beautiful work in you and he'll continue that work until it's carried out to completion. By this, how? Obedience. Obedience. Let me give you just a few quotes I came across this week. One man says, Obedience is not the essence of a right relationship with God, but it is the evidence of it. Eric Alexander, a great uh, preacher, recently um, says, The evidence of knowing God is obeying God. Oswald Chambers, The best measure of a spiritual life is not its ecstasies, but its obedience. It's not an experience you had in worship or devotions, but it's obedience. And when John talks about obedience, he talks primarily about loving God with all my heart and loving my neighbor as myself. John says in chapter 310, by this it is evident who are the children of God and, and who are the children of the devil. Who does not, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. See, obedience exists not just as, as the call of God, but it, it, it exists as this, as this marker of, of authenticity in that sense. And, and John wants his readers to know that, that they belong, to know that they really do know Jesus. And so he directs them then to this, this blessing of obedience. This is, this is not a category that we're, we're comfortable with. It's not a category that, that we really move around in. When's the last time you had a conversation with someone and, and, and you said to them, I, I just need to share with you the deep assurance that I'm experiencing because of my obedience to God. Have, have those words ever come out of your mouth? Have you ever heard someone else say that? That I've been walking this, this path of obedience in this one area of my life and I just need to tell you, it has been, uh, it has been an absolute joy. The freedom that I have, the, the peace that, that I'm experiencing, because, because I'm, I'm obeying. I think if that is true of you, you're going to be a little bit nervous about saying something like that because Christians aren't supposed to talk about their obedience. We're free to talk about our disobedience, but we're not really supposed to because it sounds like bragging. Well, it's not, John's not bragging. You see, obedience is this great, is this beautiful thing. That's what John wants us to see. That 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 is a uh, one of the ways that God assures us of his of his love for us and and helps us to experience the joy of our salvation. Thomas Brooks, an old Puritan, again says, that "Though no man merits assurance by his obedience, yet God usually crowns obedience with assurance." 
Would you like to be assured as a Christian? Would you love, wouldn't you just like to have a deep joy and confidence that that you are part of a miracle? That God has has truly rescued you, not just from from doing certain things you shouldn't do, but but God is, you're a new creation. And and you're part of this grand redemption that, that God is accomplishing of making everything new. You're part of it. And would you like to know that in a way that you're just bold and calm and confident? You see, we we just have to rediscover this uh, robust, gospel-saturated role for obedience, which, which John describes as doing what God commands, keeping His Word, and walking as Jesus walked. And again, it's not a well-defined category for us. We know that we're not saved by our obedience. We know that we're supposed to obey. We know that we don't obey as we ought to. But, but I think what we need to shore up is the sense that we get to do this. Obedience is our freedom. It's our right. It's our privilege. O- obedience is a beautiful, glorious thing. We get to do this. Came across a quote by Martin Luther. That just nailed this point. He said, I would rather obey than work miracles. I would rather obey than work miracles. Because obedience, you see, is God working the miracle in me. John makes his point first by a negative illustration, then a positive one. The negative illustration, verse 4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Uh, Brothers and sisters, you know and I know that we we live in a an, an era of the church in a, in a place where uh, there are all kinds of people who say, I know him and yet do not keep his commandments. And, and John here is not talking about, when he talks about does not keep his commandments, he's talking about a pattern. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about um, th- this path that you're on. A, f- a few years ago, maybe 10 now already, I was reading a book by Christian Smith, a sociologist down in Notre Dame. He, he did this vast study of the of the uh, religious young people of America. And uh, he talks about um, just coming across time after time after time, uh, these young people who, who just presume they're Christian because they were raised in the church, because they maybe believe certain things or try to, uh, they believe that God exists. And, and, and that presumption is, is in some ways impenetrable. You, you can't convince them otherwise, even though there's no evidence that, that such a thing is true. So he tells us about a young man, a young man named Brad. He says, Brad is a 21-year-old member of a large evangelical church in Colorado. He's been living with his girlfriend for two years. He attends church sporadically, believes that the key to happiness is looking out for himself, He cannot define the most basic tenets of the Christian faith. And yet Brad is confident that he is a Christian and he will be one all of his life. Went on in the book to talk about how did Brad get there. Uh, and, And unfortunately the way Brad got there is because his parents believed pretty much the same thing. And so we have a, we have a whole generation, generations of people who have separated what what John here is desperate to to hold together that that 
Knowing Jesus and obedience go hand in hand. You can't, you can't separate them. And, and so the person who, who like Brad, um, is walking and sin, it does not keep the commandments, does not, does not keep his word, does not walk like Jesus, but says, I know him. John says, Brad, sorry, man, you're a liar. And, and John, he's not trying to be mean. It's not a name. He, he says, you know, that he uses this language several times in, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. He's just trying to say, listen, there's objective reality we're talking about here. This isn't, these aren't shades of gray. These aren't sort of a, this isn't a spectrum where you can be somewhere along the line here. If, if, if we're walking, you see, unrepentantly in sin, and we say we know him, but John just says, it's not truth there. Doesn't mean we're not going to sin. King David sinned. John says we're going to sin. But you see, the pattern of David's life wasn't sleeping around with, with other men's wives. Uh, the, the pattern of his life was a hunger to obey. Oh, I love your law. I, I, I want to keep your law. I strive to, to, to pay attention to your law. I meditate on it day and night. That was, that was the pattern of David's life. And so the, the person you see who doesn't, who doesn't have, who, who does not keep the commandments or, or keep the word and, and says, I know him. John just says, you, you need to realize that you don't possess the truth. The truth isn't in you. If we say we have fellowship with him and then walk in darkness there's a separation. The truth isn't there. When John thinks about truth, he thinks about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus said in John 8, 31, he said to the Jews who had believed in him. So here were people who came and they said, Jesus, we believe in you. And Jesus says, wonderful. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, so having the truth is not uh, about your position on particular doctrinal issues. It's not about knowing the right answers to Bible questions. It's, it's about having a relationship with the one who is the truth. And, and it's, a, it's a life then of faith and obedience. Molded by his person and his work and his words. Is it, what verse 4 ought to do is just remind us of the seriousness of sin. That it's, 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 just, it's extremely serious. Because when, when, we, when we sin, we're lying. We're lying. We're lying about the nature of God as a holy God. We're lying about what we said we believed. That, that he was sufficient, that he would be faithful, that, that we wanted to live for him. We're lying about that. We're lying about just eternal things. You see, we're not, in, we're not in keeping with truth. John knows the truth. He walked with Jesus. He, he saw what it looked like. He, he, he can identify it. I just think of this silly, um, the movie Elf. Remember, where, uh, it's been a long time, but where Will Ferrell, whatever his name was, he goes to the, he's at the mall and Santa comes, right? And Will, he's all excited because he knows Santa. And then he, he meets Santa, and he pulls the beard, and it's a fake, and he freaks out. It's a liar. It's a liar. It's not Santa. 
How does he know? Well, because he believed, you see, he'd seen the real Santa. He knew Santa. John knows Jesus. He's been with him. He's seen him. He's, he, 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 John knows that there's no darkness in Jesus. In him, is, it's just light. And, and so the person who says, yeah, I know him. I'm with him. And yet takes into that relationship the reality of his love for darkness. Well, John just says, it's, you're lying. It's, it's not true. It's a lie. It's not, it's not according to truth. So, so verse 4 should just make us recognize that this, it's so serious and, and we get so comfortable with it. I get comfortable with it. But he doesn't stop there. Um, the positive example, we'll wrap with this, is whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The, um, the central word in that verse is truly. You see, that's the issue on the table. Is it, is it the real deal? I don't know how to um, make a sense, just the weight, the weight of this, particularly in our cultural context. We, we, we are people of our age. We, we live in our environment, and, and we take on the flavors and the aromas and, and the principles of, of our environment. And friends, we live in an environment where, where holiness is, is just not prized. It's not treasured. It's not valued. You, you, you don't win points, generally speaking, to talk about your striving for godliness, that, that what you want more than anything else, you want to obey. It's, just, it's not language that we hear. And so the, and, and so the church is just, is just it's, it's saturated, you see, with, with people who have a, a, a warped view of what it means to be a Christian. And do you realize that in, in prior ages in the church, there was a great concern for the sin of presumption? That, that there, there was a clear understanding that there were too many people in the church who, who presumed that they were saved and yet would hear the awful words of Christ, depart from me, I never knew you. And it was a burden on the hearts of pastors. To, to call people to the real thing. Don't wait until you stand in front of Jesus. John will say here, another chapter or so down, that I'm writing this to you so that you don't shrink back when the sun appears. You see, there's, there's, the, there's weightiness here. I heard from someone this past week of, and this isn't, well... It's just real. Who um, told me that someone from Harvest Church, and I don't know a name, was at a place where no Christian ought to be. And um, had, they had a chance to talk to this person. And the person assured them they're from, they're from Harvest OPC. And I don't know anything else. I know nothing else. Um, but God knows everything else. And the truth is, you see, that we do go places where Christians don't belong. Either with our feet, with our mind, with our heart, with our mouth. We go places no Christian belongs. And God knows 
Whether someone else saw you, God sees us. And it matters. It really, really matters. We cannot make peace with our sin. Can't do it. To make peace with that sin and to just try to smear a nice coating of justification over the top of it. See, it won't work. Justification is true. My obedience is not my righteousness. It's not my righteousness, it's not yours. Praise God, it's true. And yet, if we make peace with sin, if we ignore the call to be saints, the necessity of sanctification, then Calvin would say, we don't have a right to the the comfort of the promise. Not saying that you're not justified if you're in sin. But if you are walking in sin, unrepentant sin, you don't have a right to the assurance of justification. Does that make sense? It's serious stuff, friends. And just so you know, the Lord convicts Dale Van Dyke on this point. One of the things when, <clears throat> that I just come to over and over again is I'm just not as serious about obedience as the apostles are, as Jesus is. And John is writing because he wants us to be the real thing. He gives us a positive example, verse 5. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. <clears throat> and, and here the gospel light shines through. John is, is not saying whoever keeps his word in him or on him, right, the favor of God shines. Uh, whoever does it right, he gets the points. He gets the favor. He gains the grace. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in him the love of God is perfected. The person is the recipient of the action. God is showering the love. The love of God has come to this person. The love of God uh, that chose him before the foundation of the world. The love that gave to that man and that woman, Jesus Christ, as an atoning sacrifice. The love that poured out the Holy Spirit into that person's life to make them a new creation. The love that promises everything that belongs to Jesus to them. That love has a a telos, an end, an agenda. That love is to make us holy and blameless in his sight. Ephesians chapter 1. And John is saying that if you want to know, uh, if you're looking around and say, who does God love? He doesn't love the good people because they're good. The good people are good because they've been loved. And the love has been perfected. It's reaching its end. It's reaching its goal. And so when I hear about somebody like Jenny's grandfather, who every morning sat at the the table and, and opened scripture and prayed with his wife, and who led many to faith in Jesus Christ, the love of God was perfected in that life. Uh, the love of God accomplished something. It did something. And, and this text, what it does in my, in, in my heart, it says, I want to be that guy. I want to be the person that, that someone could look to and, and, and say, not that that person is loved because they obey. It's, it's not true. But the love of God is doing something in that person's life. The love of God is is changing that person. There's evidence that the Holy Spirit is is at work. Dale's not what he used to be. Isn't that what you want people to say about you? 
That something's changing, something's shifting, something's softening. There's a greater awareness of the holiness of God. There's a greater delight in God, a greater confidence in the gospel, a greater love for people, a greater hunger for holiness. That's the man that I want to be and the the woman I think you would want to be. You see, the reason this is such a, and I'll wrap with this, the reason this is such a, this is such a cause for assurance is because, you see, there's nothing in and of ourselves that would want any of that. The natural man does not want obedience. It is completely diametrically opposed to who and what he is. So when there is this desire for obedience, and when you're able to do, to do what you, in your flesh, don't want to do, simply because Jesus wants you to do it. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And listen, friends, the obedience that we're talking about is the hard obedience, the obedience of saying you're sorry when you don't want to say you're sorry. It's the obedience of, of asking forgiveness when, when you think you were justified for your outburst. It's the obedience of humbling yourself. It's the obedience of dying to yourself. It's the hard obedience. But you do it because you know that Jesus Christ owns you. He owns your life and, and you owe him your obedience. So who is this man? Well, it's the man who keeps his word. Doesn't mean he's without sin. There's a word in the Bible that's, that we can stumble over. It's called blameless. We'll look at it, Lord willing, when we get to Psalm 26. Blameless. Zachariah was blameless. The father of John the Baptist. Job was blameless. Does not mean they were without, they were without sin. It means that their, the, the, the lean of their life was towards obedience. And, and to keep the word is, is to keep all of the word. It's not just to keep the Ten Commandments. It's to keep the prayers of confession. It's to keep in the Old Testament the ceremonies and the sacrifices that God had given to His people because they sinned, you see. To keep the Word is, is to believe that there's a righteousness that God is willing to grant freely to those who confess their sin. It's faith and obedience. So we say to keep the Word then is to let the Word expose us. To keep the word is, is to say, it's, it's true, Lord, I have failed, but my righteousness is Jesus Christ. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. And I want to live for him. I want to live for him. God, help me to live like Jesus. Help me to walk like Jesus. This, is, this text, friends, is a, it's an invitation to just to be honest and to be, to be repentant. Continually, not one time, but as an ongoing daily reality to repent. Say, Lord, I don't want that sin in my life. I want obedience. It's an invitation for you this morning. Maybe there's a specific sin that you need, you need to repent and confess. Maybe it's something deeply shameful that you just, you haven't made it right. You have, you've not confessed it. An affair, an abortion, a devastating lie. A hidden sinful habit that maybe no one knows about. Friend, let the word of God just just come to you this morning. And if that's you, let this be an invitation. Jesus Christ died for you. And, and, And don't just settle for a gospel that keeps you in the darkness. 
and keeps you in bondage to the guilt and shame of that sin. It's not, it's not the, full, the full gospel. And if, you're, and if you're walking in that sin today, then John wants you to know you're lying. You're lying. Maybe it's an ongoing battle of lust, covetousness, a bitter spirit, an angry heart, a filthy mouth. And this is an invitation for you to take that sin seriously. Maybe you've ceased to take it seriously because it's been there for so long and you just don't know what to do with it anymore. This is the invitation for you to get on your knees before this God, before Jesus Christ and, and hunger for holiness and, and, and beg God again, not just for forgiveness. He's willing to forgive, but to beg him for transformation. I want to be clean. Lord, make me clean. That there's a seriousness about how you are dealing with your besetting sins. And maybe it's just a general lack of seriousness about holiness in general that you look at your life and you don't, you don't see any grievous sin. You don't even see really a, 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 a shameful habit of sin someplace. You're just, you're just kind of doing your Christian life. But, but there's not a seriousness about the things of God. There's the, the things that you, you allow yourself to watch on, on television or in movies and listen to, the, the jokes that you laugh at, uh, the articles that you read online. It, 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 there's just not a seriousness about obedience. Friend, this is an invitation to repent daily. Say, God, I, I want to obey. I, I just want to obey. I, I want to obey more than I want to work miracles. If, if, I, could, if I could heal people, Lord, I, I'd rather obey. Because... Because that's a sign of your work in my life. And, and, and through that, God, you could, you could do something with my life. As I trust in Jesus' righteousness alone and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I grow in godliness. That's the invitation. I don't know where you are. The Spirit does. I hope you have a better sense after this message. I'm just going to ask you, what's the next step you're going to take? Is it going to be talking to a spouse? Asking forgiveness for a, a sin of your mouth, of your body, of your attitude? Is it going to be talking to a friend? Is it going to be confessing maybe to, to elders? What's going to be the next step? Maybe it's going to be getting into a small group of some sort where you can have people pray with you and you can walk with people. And they can, they can walk with you. Maybe it's going to be just a renewed a commitment to getting into your Bible, getting into prayer. Whatever it is, take your commitment. It won't save you. Jesus alone can. But take that commitment to Jesus today. And by his power, friend, walk. Walk. You can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can, you can confess the sin. You can, you can enter the small group. You can, you can be honest with brothers and sisters. You can confess the truth about you because the gospel is true for you. And through that power, friends, let's, let's together encourage each other in obedience, the beauty of obedience. And let's begin to experience the joy of the assurance that, that comes as we see God doing a work in us. Amen.
Let's pray. Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. And yet, oh God, thank you that your grace is sufficient both to wash clean and to make new. God, you know our hearts. We have idolatrous hearts. We hunger for life in pleasure, in things, in reputation, in experiences, in getting our way. It's all death. And yet we've given ourselves to our idols. We confess it as sin. Lord, I I pray that obedience would be beautiful to us. That holiness would be something that we treasure. That if we lose everything else, but we could look like Jesus and we could have the confidence and the assurance that that we are loved and, and that we know him. And that we are bearing fruit, not, not by great acts, but by simple obedience of love for God and love for those around us. Lord, that would be our prayer. Father, you know, you know your people. You know how powerful sin is more than we do. and You know where we've been with our our feet and our hands, our, our mouth, our mind. Well, Father, we, we, we pray that you forgive us, but I pray particularly, Lord, that for those maybe who are in bondage today to shame and guilt and fear, I pray, Lord, that um, you would, by your Spirit, lead us into the freedom that comes by confessing our sin. And by walking in obedience. Help us to be a church that encourages each other in obedience. That we, that we together take sin seriously. Not, not to judge. Not, never to condemn. For there is no condemnation left for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that this is the battle we face together. And this is the road we walk together. And we have the confidence that because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That we shall be more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. The devil will not win. Righteousness is ours not only imputed to us, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, more and more, a part of us. And Lord God, one day, one day, we'll see the victory in all of its fullness. Help us, Lord, to hunger for that day, to work for that day, to long for it, to wait for it, and, oh God, to rejoice when it's here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.